I'd like to invite all of our children that are part of Transformation Station to make their way to the back there. Um, so this Sunday is actually our second month of having something for our commuter kids. So uh, subway station and the bus station are for nursery age to about five years old. And then uh, commuter station will be up here with Miss Lee in the back. Um, so if you're, you're an elementary school kid uh, age from about five-ish, six to about 11 or 12, feel free to join Miss Lee in the back for our commuter station this morning. And uh, they're going to have a great time uh, with our children's workers. So we appreciate all of our children's workers helping out. And uh, let me say again, we're really glad you're here. So I know several people, I kind of celebrate several people walking in uh, after our first song. So if this is your first time with us, we are really thankful that you're here. We want to be a church that exists first and foremost for the glory of God in the gospel, but uh, we're a church for our community. And so we want to see all different kinds of people from all different backgrounds and walks of life and ethnicities and nationalities coming to this church. Uh, to explore what it means to follow Christ. And so if this is your first time, we welcome you. Uh, we'd love for you to fill out a connection card and drop it in the, the basket when we collect offering later in the service. Um, so that can just be your way of kind of participating this morning. But we are uh, at the end, quickly, of our We Are the Church series. So uh, about three weeks ago, we looked at how the church is a community of devoted disciples, that the church is a community of disciples that are devoted to a particular way of life. Uh, the following week, we talked about how that the, the church is a community of united disciples, that the gospel not only reconciles us to God, but it reconciles us to one another. And so last week, we, we, even though Hurricane Irene kind of wiped us out, if you caught the email and the blog, um, which you probably didn't, that we thought on how the church is a community of gifted disciples, how the, the Spirit gifts people in the church to serve and love one another. Um, this week, we want to think on the church as a group of committed disciples. And so let me give you a little bit of history about Redemption Hill Church. This is pretty awesome. Just about five months ago, we, on April 10th, met here for the very first time. And since that time, we have seen God do an amazing work among us. In fact, one of our favorite verses in Scripture is Psalm 111, verse 2, that says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. And so I could tell you just how God has been at work. I could tell you about how He has brought people like you, just look around, uh, from, from all different types of backgrounds um, and walks of life. We could talk about how that we have had great opportunity to serve our community. God has opened up door after door to get into our community and serve one another. I could tell you about how that God is causing us to go deeper relationally, both with Him and with one another. It's been an awesome work so far. There is so much to praise God for in the life of our nascent church. And yet, here is the question that I want you to consider this morning, and that is this. Who is willing to take out your notebook and your favorite pen. I know we have some pen snobs out there, right? Maybe, maybe not. Take out your notebook and pen and continue to study the works of God. 
and record the works of God because this is only the beginning for Redemption Hill Church. I mean, when you look out into the future, what do you see happening in the life of this church? When I see Redemption Hill, I see a church that's raising up kids to know and follow Jesus. I see a church that's filled with community groups. These are small groups that happen throughout the week where we have an older couple sticking around to invest in the life of a young married couple or a college student to help them learn what it means to to live out their faith in, in a difficult setting. I see a church that genuinely loves one another and bears one another's burdens. I see a church that's packed out on Sundays. I mean, this room filled up to the point where we will one day have to go to multiple services because there's just not enough room. I see that type of church. I see a church that starts other churches all over greater Boston and sends out missionaries to the ends of the earth. This is the kind of church that I see. I hope it's the church that you see with the eyes of faith. But the question then remains is how do we get there? How do we become that kind of church? And the answer is simple. It's people. People who get the mission of God and are willing to live out the radical implications of what it means to follow Christ. And so, perhaps you've been coming to Redemption Hill for a while, and maybe this is a lot of you for your very first Sunday, and that's great, but I think that we're getting to the point as a church, and so we're going to start this whole membership process. We're getting to this point where it's time to kind of say, okay, I see the mission and vision of the church. I understand what the church believes. I understand the way that it's going, and I'm in. I want to be a part of this kind of church. And so the more formal way to describe this is church membership. All right, now, before anyone just kind of wants to just kind of jet out the door. This is a sermon on church membership. Like, this is my first Sunday, and we're talking about church membership. I mean, Tanner, why on earth would anyone want to join a church, right? I mean, after all, the, the church is, you know, outdated and irrelevant, right? I mean, so many people are simply just indifferent about the church, The church, many believe, is just a a boring place that exists to regulate our lives or to possibly rob us of a few extra hours of sleep on Sunday, right? The church is a place that receives a lot of skepticism and doubt when it comes to the validity and the purpose of the church being the church and having membership. And so I want to attempt to answer the question, why church membership? Why on earth would anyone, and especially you, want to join a church? And more specifically, this church. Here's the answer. This is a very simple answer. We'll unpack it here as we go. But it's this. The church of Jesus Christ is a family that's on a mission. That's it. The church of Jesus Christ is a family that's on a mission. And so if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. 
If you're using one of the Bibles that we provided for you under your seat there, it's on page 822. And I want to read this all-important passage where Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks them this question, who do people say that I am? And they give this answer, and Jesus then talks about his church and how he's going to build his church. And so if you're in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, please follow along with me as I read these verses for us. Matthew writes, Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so immediately in these verses, the first truth that I want us to think on this morning is this, is that the church is the church of Jesus Christ. You got that? This is pretty simple for you. The church is the church of Jesus Christ. And now let me just say that we're going to be kind of arguing here from the, from the generals to the particulars. We're going to have some general statements about the church. And Jesus is actually referring here to the universal church. You say, what is the universal church? It's the, the all believers at all times in all places. Everyone who is a follower of Christ, they belong to the universal church. But the universal church then gathers in their communities as local expressions of the universal body of Christ. Get it? And so Jesus here is referring to the, to the universal church, all believers everywhere. But we're going to drill and make specific ap application to what this should look like in a local church. A group of people who know and love and follow Christ, committed to the same beliefs, same values, same mission. And so... What do we see here in, in these opening verses of our passage? Well, we see that the church is built on a common confession. See, the church is not a building. The church is not a social club. The church is not to be a once-a-week compartmentalized piece of our life. The church is a people. The church is a community of disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, the church is a people who have answered the question. You get it? Who do people say that he is? Is Jesus a mere man? Is Jesus merely a prophet who taught a lot of nice things, but he was something less than the Son of God, something less than the Savior of the world? You see, Peter and the disciples had it right. They said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the church is built on this confession. 
So let me ask you this morning, what do you make of Jesus Christ? Do you embrace him as Lord? Do you embrace him as the king, the creator of all things, the redeemer of all people who would trust and follow him? See, the churchers, the people who have embraced Christ, they see his sinless life that enabled him to die a cruel death, a cruel substitutionary death for the sin of the world. They embrace the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead as the death-proof king. That all who follow him can have life, life abundant and eternal. So the, the church is believers who come together as followers of Christ. This is why we as a, a church in the Baptist tradition, Redemption Hill Church is a Baptist church. This is why we uh, believe in regenerate church membership. Okay, what on earth is that? That is a fancy way of saying that the church's membership is reserved for believers. In other words, even though we have this cool little graphic and even some of our children who are like two and three and four are in the picture, they are a part of this church in the general sense that we love them, we want to teach them, they, we want them to come, but they are not a part of the church in that they have said Jesus is Lord. And we're praying that they do one day. The church is those who make this confession. And we, we see down in verse 18 this, this phrase that Jesus says, I will build my church. You see, the church belongs to Jesus. He owns the church. He is the head of his church. He gives the church life. He gives the church direction. He purchased the church with his blood. This is why the church belongs to him. And so some people might say, there's actually a book with this title, People Love Jesus But Not the Church. And there's something very problematic about that. Why? Because Jesus loves the church. If you want to get in with Jesus, if you want to be about what Jesus is about, then you need to be about the church. Because Jesus loves his church, even to the point where he gave his life for the church, Ephesians 5.25. And so what does this have to do with church membership? Let me give you the first of seven reasons why you should join a local church. If it's not this church, a church hopefully like this that has these values because we think they're really biblical and right, but, but why would you want to join a local church, and particularly this church? Number one, membership provides the best context to display your allegiance to Jesus to the world. Membership provides the best context to you, for you to display your allegiance to Jesus to the world. And so the church is the church of Jesus Christ. Number two, the church of Jesus Christ is a family. The church of Jesus Christ is a family. We, we see a hint of this in verse 17. I'm going to take this hint and I'm going to run with it because we see it traced all throughout the New Testament and we see that Jesus here, after Simon Peter makes this awesome confession, you are the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, what does then Jesus say? He gives this blessing, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why? Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
So Jesus refers to God, the Father, as Father. And we then see all throughout the New Testament that this is how the people of God, one of the, the images or metaphors, or it's actually even a reality that we, the people of God, belong to the family of God. God is our Father. Jesus is our brother. We are a spiritual family in Him. The New Testament writers consistently refer to the church as the household of God, 1 Timothy 3. Whoever does the will of Jesus and, and follows Him, Mark chapter 3, says that he, that is my family, my mother, my brother, my sisters. When Paul addresses believers in all of his letters, he calls them brothers and sisters in Christ. To receive Jesus is to become a child of God, John chapter 1. Romans 8 says that we've been adopted into the family of God. You see, the church is a family. But if the church is a family, then how does the local church reflect this, that the church is a family? Well, number one, families have an identity. Families, families have an identity. You see, I'm sure that some of you are thinking, man, you know, Tanner, I've never read this in the Bible. I've never seen, you know, Paul or Jesus say you should join a local church. So why are you spending a whole Sunday talking about this? Well, you're right. It never explicitly says, hey, Chloe, join the church at Philippi. It doesn't, it doesn't say that, but it seems that that is assumed, that, that it, is, is it, it is implicit. It is certainly uh, present in the idea of the New Testament. We see this in a variety of ways. Number one, we see that the church kept up with who was in and out. So just read Acts chapters 1 and 2, and you're going to start to find that when the disciples went about talking about Jesus, that all who believe in Him can have life in Him, that it says that many people, Acts 2, 41 says that 3,000 people were added to their number. You see that? They were added, to, so they were, they were in the family now. Acts 2, 47 says that day by day, people were being saved, becoming part of the church. The Bible even speaks of people joining and not joining the community of disciples. Acts chapter 5, it says that now many signs and wonders were regularly done among people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now none of the rest dared to join them, but people held them in high esteem. Interestingly, this was also the case with the apostle Paul. The man who wrote 13 letters of the New Testament, it says that in Acts chapter 9, after he was converted, he goes to Jerusalem to hook up with the other uh, apostles, and they were skeptical of him. It says that he wanted to join them, but they said, hold up, this guy is persecuting the church. Is he really one of us? Is he really in the family? And then Barnabas says, hey, this guy's legit. He's preaching Jesus, man. People are getting saved from his messages. I mean, he's, he's in the family. He's, he's been changed by God's grace. And so we see this in the New Testament, that, that there is an identity, that, that, that there, is those, there are those who are a part of the family and those who are not, hopefully, yet part of the family in the church and in local churches. Now, this is not necessarily a popular notion in our day, right? to say that some people are in and some people are out. To have 
exclusive membership to say, yeah, these people are members. They believe a certain thing, they wanna live a certain way, and so they're in the family. That's not necessarily extremely popular today. I mean, just take Medford for example. When you drive from Somerville into Medford on Highway 28, you will see a sign that says, we are an inclusive community. That's good. There's nothing wrong with being an inclusive community. Understood the right ways, right? The church is an inclusive community. I want you to hear this. The church reflects the gospel. The gospel is for all people. Whoever wants to follow Christ, whoever would believe in Christ, they can become followers of Christ. The invitation goes out to all. And yet, not all are willing to say, yeah, I buy into him. The same is true in the church. The church is a particular kind of people. A local church have certain beliefs, a certain way of life that we want to live. And so not everyone's in. I mean, can you imagine just because, you know, Tanner uh, takes a, a, a student tour of, of Tufts University or, you know, hang out at Harvard on the tour of the campus, that they would let me in just because I've kind of walked through the campus? I mean, Tufts students, Harvard students, I mean, you know, it was like you made a 940 on your ACT, uh, SAT and, you know, like a 2.2 in high school. I mean, is that going to cut it? Probably not. So we see this in the real world, right? I mean, there, there are prerequisites, requirements, responsibilities, privileges with a commitment to a local church. And so reason number two on why church membership. Membership marks off who is in the family. Membership marks off who is in the family. So families have an identity, but then also families belong together. Families belong together. One of the clearest marks of a family is that they spend time together. They share a same roof. They share a same name. They're committed to one another. And I want you to think on this idea of commitment. You see, I think we live, particularly today, in a culture that is somewhat commitment-phobic, if you will. People kind of want to leave all of their options on the table. And so, you know, I'm not going to get too close to that because if I really commit, then there are going to be expectations and, you know, it might be kind of hard to slip out unnoticed if, you know, this really doesn't work out so well. And so we just kind of like to, you know, keep certain commitments at arm's length. We're scared to jump in with both feet. And yet, the church is a group of people who have a strong commitment, not only to Christ, but to one another. You see, this should be the reflex of believers. Look at the early church. Again, it says in Acts chapter 1 that the disciples and others with them gathered in the upper room to pray. They wanted to be together. Acts chapter 2, when it gives a summary of the early church, it says that they devoted themselves to fellowship and that they gathered at the temple and day by day in their homes, breaking bread. They were constantly together. The church wants to commit to be together as the church. You see, if Jesus is the most important thing about you, if he defines and drives your life, then don't you want to be with people who share that same commitment? 
again, it's like a, it's like a reflex. Man, I want to be with people who share this supreme value in life, just like I do, Jesus Christ. See, we've talked a lot about in the past few weeks how the, the church is a community of united disciples. We belong together, and we are to fulfill these one another commands in Scripture. So think about, think about the Bible. It says we are to love one another. It says we are to serve one another. It says we are to pray for one another. It says we are to bear one another's burdens. It says we are to forgive one another. It says we are to encourage one another. I mean, how do you do this out on your own? We commit to one another. We fulfill these commands to one another, together, as the church. You see, when we know who's in the family, it changes the level of commitment and care for one another. Think about this. I am married to Marcia Harris Turley, all right? We've been married for five happy years. She's not in here right now. Hopefully she would say the same thing. But my commitment and care for Marcia transcends and is unique to her in a way that it's not to all other women in the world. This is a small picture. It's a covenant that we share together, right? That's what marriage is. It's a covenant. It's unique. And when people join a local church, they covenant together and they say, hey, we're in this thing together. We're committing to one another. And so I am now responsible for Micah and I'm supposed to care and pray for Micah in a way that I'm not going to care for Curtis at Hope Fellowship. Why? Because I am not as responsible for Curtis at Hope Fellowship in Cambridge as I am for Micah because we're in this thing together. It doesn't mean I don't love Curtis. Do I still pray for Curtis? Do I still get together with Curtis occasionally? Of course. But when you're in the family together, it heightens the commitment so that we might be responsible for one another and accountable for one another to fulfill what the scriptures teach us. And this is also true of church leadership. Just think about this verse. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So, th- so think about this. That it says that those in the church, so, so there are leaders, I mean, to, to, to have leaders, then there must be just like some, some kind of followers there. That it says to submit to the leadership of, of the church. The writer of Hebrews is telling those in the church this. And you think, oh, that's convenient for leaders, man. You guys have got it good, right? People are just kind of supposed to do what you say. It's not exactly work like that, okay? I mean, yeah, we set the pace and we give direction. I mean, but we are actually a church that the congregation calls the shots. We're in this thing together. That's how Baptist churches work. We'll explain that more later. But, but, but leaders, it says here in Hebrews 13, that, that they will give an account for watching over your souls. I mean, so pastors, for John and I and other pastors, as we add elders and pastors in this church, I mean, who are we responsible for? We're responsible for those who said, I'm in the family, right? In a unique way. And so all of these things point to another reason to get involved in the local church. Number three, membership provides the context where leadership and mutual care can be exercised. All right? So, so families have an identity that families belong together. And then uh, finally, families are imperfect. Now, I hate to kind of burst your bubble if you thought you worked, walked into a perfect church this morning. I mean, I, I just, you know, let's just kind of throw everything, all of our cards on the table. We're not a perfect church. 
If you're looking for a perfect church, don't join this church. But I would obviously challenge you to think about this, that every church that you go to, if you're just kind of trying to find a church to belong to, um, you're you're never going to find a perfect church. Why? Because churches are filled with imperfect people, right? And so this is why Jesus in Matthew 18, actually flip over to Matthew chapter 18 and look in verse 15, 16, and 17. Let me read these for us. You read along with me. Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, I mean, Jesus knew knew it was coming, right? We're going to fail one another. We're going to fail God. We're going to sin against one another. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is the steps of of how we kind of keep each other in the faith. The, the, The theological term is church discipline, all right? He says, between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. In other words, your brother is back in a right standing with you and God. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's the second step. Now here's the third step, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, let me explain this. Jesus here is saying that we will have sin in the church. It's inevitable, right? We will sin against one another. Now, these relationships need to be reconciled both to God and to one another. If someone persists in unrepentance, we continue the process. Go with someone else, then eventually tell it to the church. If they continue to persist in unrepentance. What does Jesus say? He says, actually, treat them as a Gentile or tax collector. In other words, treat them as if they are not in the faith, as if they're not in the family. It doesn't mean that we stop loving them. It doesn't mean that we stop pursuing them. It doesn't mean that we stop praying for them. But the idea is that the church would be pure and clean. So if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not going to live as a follower of Christ, then you don't belong to the church. The process is always for the good of the individual. It's to restore them back to Christ. And, and let me just say this, because I know this is kind of a topic that is, you know, kind of, kind of um, gives maybe some pause. Uh, good church discipline starts like right here. This is what we call formative discipline. It's, it's the disciplines of the Christian life. It's worshiping together and reading our Bible and together and individually and praying and pursuing Christ and serving others. All those things are formative discipline to keep us walking closely with Christ. And another part of discipline is self-discipline. So Paul says to examine yourselves, to make sure that you're in the faith. But, but, but because families are imperfect, then Jesus says the church should be the place that helps you stay in the faith keep you in the faith. Man, if you're not living like a Christian, say, man, hold up, come back. This is what it means to follow Christ. And so reason number four I want to give you is, is, is that membership keeps, helps keep believers in the faith. This is all part of what it means that the church of Jesus Christ is a family. Now, number three, and this is good. The church of Jesus Christ is on a mission. The church of Jesus Christ is on a mission. Look, at, look again in verse 18 of chapter 16 of Matthew. Uh, Jesus says, based on this confession that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. You are, you are, you are the rock. The, the word Cephas there, translated Peter, means rock. 
He says, you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. You're the spokesman of, of, of the apostles. You're going to take the lead on this thing, all right? This isn't an order for the papacy, but we can talk about that later, all right? But, but, but he's, he's saying, look, you're going to help initiate this whole thing, and I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the church is on a mission, and we see it right there in this verse. Jesus is building his church. He's been doing it since his death and resurrection. Even before that, if you want to talk Old Testament and all kinds of theology there. But um, he, is, he is building his church, and it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, this is kind of up for debate in, in terms of interpretation, but the, the picture of gates are kind of like a fortified city. They're keeping people out, and so the idea is that the church is on the advance, pushing through the gates of hell. That's, that's the way I take Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. And so the church is on an unstoppable mission to advance the mission of God. See, we're not to kind of sit back in our spiritual recliner and just relax as if everything is, is just going to kind of work itself out. You see, God gifts his people that we might serve in the church and serve one another. And this undercuts the consumeristic mentality so, that, that so many people have in the church that plagues the church today. You see, a lot of times, and perhaps even maybe some, at some level for you this morning, you're thinking, man, what does this church have to offer me? Is the music good? Does the preacher stink? Is the food, like, fresh? Is the coffee hot? Right? And we kind of come in with this consumeristic mentality. What's in it for me? And when we understand that the church is on a mission, we start to ask the question, not what's in it for me, but how can I be a blessing to others? How can I serve? I mean, have you ever thought about this, that someone in this church needs you? They need your love. They need your encouragement. They need your counsel. They need you to pray for them. If you're not a part of the church, how's it going to happen? And so membership, number five, membership provides a unique opportunities to serve God's people. As we're on a mission, the membership in the church provides unique opportunities to serve God's people. But, but then number six, related to that, I'm going to go ahead and give you this. Membership provides unique opportunities to serve the world. Why is this? Because we are on a mission with God. Redemption Hill Church is all about living out God's mission. Mission is not our idea. We don't come up with it. Mission is God's idea. And I love the way that Chris Wright puts this. Just listen to this quote from Christopher Wright. He has this book called The Mission of God. He says this, Mission is not ours. Mission is God's. Certainly the mission of God is the prior reality out of which flows any mission that we get involved in. Or, as has been nicely put, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. God's mission. And so that is why at Redemption Hill, we understand that God is on a mission. What is the mission of God? The mission of God is to redeem worshipers from every tribe, nation, and language on the planet. 
It is to make disciples of all the world. Because why? Because God has created all people for his glory. And as we talked about this morning, none of us have glorified God the way that we ought. And that we are separated from God because of that. But in the gospel, God pursues us. He sends his son to die in our place that if we believe in him, we might be brought back. We might become worshipers of him again, just like we were created for. And so the, the, the mission of our church is to be all about God's mission as a community that's being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, Tanner, what's, what's the mission of the church? It's the mission of God. What's the mission of God? It's to make disciples of all the world. How do you do that? We display and declare the gospel. That's what we're all about. I hope that you're about that. If you're about that, then you should consider reason number six. Membership provides unique opportunities to serve the world. And then finally, I want us to think about this. Membership provides incredible opportunities to display the glory of God. Membership provides unique opportunities, incredible opportunities, <laughs> to display the glory of God. You say, okay, where do you get this? Well, this is, this is the thought here. Paul in Ephesians 3 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is now made known. So from that verse, we see that the church is the primary vehicle through which not only God accomplishes mission in the world, but by which he receives glory in the world. God has created us for his glory. The one single, all-absorbing passion of our lives should be to point to how great God is. That's what it means to glorify him. And so if God's glory is displayed in the church, then why would we not want to jump on board with the local church and live out his mission so that we might glorify God? You say, well, Tanner, that sounds kind of very general, and I don't even understand how that happens. How do we glorify God as a church? We just do what we've been talking about. Man, we love one another. We go out and we serve the community. Man, we're, we're feeding hungry when no one else is doing that. We're bearing one another's burdens. We're, we're staying up late, encouraging our friend when everyone else would be asleep at that point. This is how the church displays the glory of God. And so, some of you have taken the question of the sermon and you're thinking, why would I be motivated to join a local church? Why would I be motivated to maybe even join this church, Redemptional Church? And that's an, that's an okay question. But I, th I think, I think in light of all of these reasons that we've explored, the better question is not why would I be motivated, but why wouldn't you be motivated to join the church? If the church is a family that's on a mission together to accomplish God's mission in the world, why wouldn't you be in for that? We exist to glorify God, here it is, by living out his mission as a community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's not going to change. And so this is a great time. In fact, this is a historic time to say, hey, I'm in. Why? Because we have zero members. It's like we kind of like don't even exist yet. 
properly speaking. It's kind of weird. I'm not even really your pastor. John's not your pastor. Josh is not your minister leader. Um, how is that? Well, because we're, st- we're starting a church. We're a church, as one theologian puts it, in a church in embryonic stage. We're forming. We're developing, and we're about to say, hey, we're in. And so if you are a follower of Christ, I mean, I understand that some of you are like wrestling with the claims of Christ. You're saying, man, is Jesus God? Did he really die on the cross for the sins of the world? Do I really even buy that? Is there really sin? Was he raised from the dead if he died on the cross? And so if that's you and you're exploring that, then, then, then man, that is awesome. Continue exploring that. And when you say yes to Jesus, we definitely want you to say yes to the church. But please come back. Continue exploring this. But, but then if you are a follower of Christ and you're on, on board with this mission and you get the beliefs of Redemption Church and you're about that, then, then we want to invite you to join the mission here of Redemption Hill. You say, okay, Tanner, how do I do that? Really quickly. How do you become a part of Redemption Hill Church? Here's our process, and we'll unpack this in greater detail, but there, there are three C's, all right? So if it's not cool, at least it's hopefully memorable, all right? So here, so here we go. Uh, there's going to be connections classes this month, okay? We're providing three of these since we're just getting started. We want to make it as accessible as possible. So we have three connections classes this month. And you say, what is a connection class? It's just a way for you to continue to get to know the church. We'll talk about what we believe and how we want to live as a church and how we function and how we're structured. We'll tell you about the history of of Redemption Hill as it stands today. And, And so it'll be a great opportunity for you to get to know Redemption Hill. Now, this doesn't obligate you to join, so don't feel like if you come to the class that you like have to sign on the dotted line. You don't have to at all. You may say, man, I don't agree with that, and I'm not about that. And, um, and, and, and so uh, the first step is a connections class. Then, number two, you'll have a conversation with one of the pastors, all right? Don't let this intimidate you. You say, you know, first step is kind of get to know Redemption Hill. Well, a covenant is a two-way street, right? It's, a, it's an agreement that we walk together. And so this is a way for us to get to know you. So I have a little, you know, kind of like introduction form. You'll fill that out. You'll send it in. We'll grab coffee somewhere or, you know, maybe uh, hang out at your place or somewhere. And, and we'll just get to know one another and make sure that, that you understand what the church is about. And if you have any lingering questions, we'll seek to answer those for you at that point. And then number three, covenant. And again, a covenant is a two-way street. It's, a, it's an agreement where we're saying, hey, we agree about who Jesus is. We followed him in baptism. We're pursuing him with our lives, and we want to pursue this thing together. And so this is the process, and this is going to be happening over the next month. And so let me back up to our text, and then I'm going to close. Jesus says that he will build his church. And so, look, we trust God to build his church. He's doing it. He's going to continue to do it. And so if there are 10 people on October 2nd, when we have our Covenant Membership Sunday, if there are 10 people standing across right here that's saying, hey, I'm in, I mean, we're going to rejoice and we're not going to worry about the other 70 who are still thinking about it. It's okay. If there are 60 who say, I'm in, we're ready to join the church, man, we're going to rejoice and we're going to be glad, but we're going to know that it's not dependent on us. Jesus builds this church. And so... That said, we want to invite you to join the family and join the mission of 
this church. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that the gospel radically changes our lives and it radically reorients the way that we relate to you, but also how we relate to one another. And so, Lord, um, you've sent us on a mission to start a church, and we know this isn't an easy work, and we know that if you weren't in charge of this thing that we would have never uh, stepped foot in Medford in the first place. And so, God, thank you that you build your church. Thank you that you teach us from your word, that your spirit leads us. And, Lord, I just pray that maybe some, for some of those that are considering Christ, that you would reveal yourself to them, just like you revealed yourself to Peter. And, Lord, for others that are already in the universal family of God, I pray that maybe you would move them to want to be a part of this local family that's an expression of the bigger family. And so, Lord, as we reflect on the death of Christ and taking communion, and as we continue to sing, we pray that you would receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen.